Hi, and welcome everyone to the 124th episode of Serum Rocks. Today we have Asif Remani from Visual SP to talk about user adoption and learning methodologies. But first, hello Heidi, the almost bison petter. How are you doing today, Heidi? Hello, I'm fantastic. How are you? Yeah, I'm just fine. So you're big on bison and would like to pet them? <laughs> I, I just have a silly thing with buffalo with my husband. We went on a big trail run. I was wearing my awesome bison hat and we ran past a bison enclosure at the zoo. Whoa. It was very fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think I saw a picture of you reaching into the net. Is that true? I was not reaching into the net. I did pose in front of a photo that says, do not approach the bison <laughs> while a bison approached me. <laughs> All right. Silly. You are at Serum Heidi and I'm at Marcus Allenson. So please send us a tweet, look us up. And today we have Asafi Ramani, who is the CEO of Visual SP and a 16-time Microsoft MVP. Wow! His focus is on helping organizations train and support their employees. Welcome to the pod, Asafi. Nice to be here. Thanks as, for having me. That's okay. As, That's close enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. I get all kind of permutations of the name since growing up. And, well, yeah, I did try it and I did nail it, but <laughs> only just the first time. Asif. Asif. Perfect. As a CEO of the Visual SP, what is it that you do? Uh, what do I do? Well, I do this. You know, this is what I enjoy doing. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, I look at honestly myself and what I do for a very, very long time is to evangelize the notion that we can create all the cool stuff we want but if there's not many people actually using it it's for no good reason and i've been in that boat before where i've made some awesome tools thinking that it's just gonna work and people will love it then i look at the analytics and I'm like what's going on people are not using it so as the ceo of visual sp i very much focus on making sure that our customers our partners users are actually utilizing the products software that they have access to and making the best out of it for you know getting their job done and uh, improving their quality of life in general. Nice. How did you get started with Dynamics 365? <laughs> Funny story. <clears throat> Let me actually back up and say that I've been part of the Microsoft ecosystem since 2001 first, but that was not Dynamics at that time. I first got into SharePoint, uh, then from, it was SharePoint on-premises the whole time for a long, long time. 2005, I became a Microsoft certified trainer then 2007 is when I became a Microsoft MVP, <clears throat> but it was still all in SharePoint on-premises then SharePoint online, then Microsoft 365, Teams, everything else came in 2019. So way after you guys started uh, CRM and, and Dynamics and all, in 2019 is when I one of our customers at Visual SP started using our product on Dynamics. And they said, hey guys, you have sold it to us for SharePoint and Microsoft 365 and Teams, which is all great, but... What we really need it on is Dynamics because we need to provide context-sensitive support, training, communication, help in general to our users. And this is what we really need. So they started using it. They told us, hey, here's what we're doing. They showed us, they educated us, and we're like, oh, my God. You know, this, this is perfect timing because a unified interface at that time was just becoming popular, right? I believe 2018 is when unified interface uh, took hold. And all the customers were saying the same thing, that, yeah, we need this on here. So that's when we jumped on in. 
and uh, I've not left ever since. Now I'm straddling the Microsoft 365, Dynamics 365, and also the learning uh, community as well as, as a three-prong approach that I do where I speak on all these different conferences and I talk uh, this message of you want to get the information as close as possible to your users. So that's how I got in. I like your story on how you got here. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you, lady. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Asif. I've obviously attended a lot of your talks in different conferences and we've gotten to connect and I've gotten to learn you through those situations and your talks, which has been awesome. So I'm wondering, can you tell our listeners what is contextual microlearning and why is it a good fit for our Dynamics 365 end users? First, I'm going to say that I've been a fan of Heidi before she even knew me. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I found of yours before when I was learning about Dynamics. And I'm like, wow, she is smart. <laughs> so I've been following you quite some time. And I love your talks as well that I've attended. Having said that, talking about contextual microlearning, which was a term that was not at all known, uh, to be honest, a few years ago, I actually uh, take the credit for coining the term because people are like, what is contextual microlearning? There was just no not, no mention of it. So I'll, I'm, uh, uh, I started using this term to describe what we were doing anyway, which is you want to provide context-sensitive information. Now, the term itself is micro-learning, but I go even beyond and say micro-support, micro-information, micro-communication, micro-delivery of any content to your users. And with the intent always being that if you're going to wait for your users to go find the information, even if it's micro-information, micro-learning, that is a much harder sell than it used to be. Now they need the information where they are, not where it is, okay? And I've made that mistake many, many times where we used, to, we used to make some really long form content, so not micro at all. And then we started making micro content, but we put it in a wiki site or we put it on a SharePoint site, or we put it on a, a portal or something and assumed that users would be motivated enough to find that information. And that's when we realized that no, we're living in the age of TikTok and Snapchat and everything else. And that's not what's going to happen. People want answers. Now, don't get me wrong. When they want deep learning, they'll go find a course and do the course and LMS, LXP, LCMS, a regular course or webinar or conference. But when they're looking for an answer, that's where contextual microlearning is. It really shines. It just appears to provide you the answer when you need it at your moment of need. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. I had no idea you coined the term. But I thought it was brilliant when I first heard it. <laughs> How much is micro in micro learning for you? Well, the definition of micro learning is one of those things where even the L&D community, which I interact with quite a bit, struggles with. You know, some people say, well, it has to be under a minute. Some people say two minutes. Then it goes to five minutes. And sometimes even people say 10 minutes or under is micro uh, for consumption of any content. Now, usually we think about videos, right? When we think about micro learning, but it's beyond videos. We're talking about tip sheets. Are you talking about any other consumption of, let's say, an animated image, annotated image, or anything else that you can consume within that time? My opinion, personal, is that under five minutes is still considered micro enough for people to be able to consume it for their answer and not get bored or distracted or whatever. That I think is changing still as we speak though. I think it's becoming less and less as I talk to people like, oh, just give me the answer. Just give it to me within a minute, within two <laughs> minutes. But still people have enough patience. I think that under five minutes can still be considered micro. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting. I've also found the attention span to be a lot smaller and narrower. 
um, which is really interesting. And it's changed how I train my end users entirely, right? Like we used to have full day classroom training. That's like gone pretty much. I still like doing that though, by the way. So I, as I was saying before, before I became an MVP, I was a Microsoft certified trainer and I was doing lots and lots of in-person training at that time. And I still very much enjoy when I get an opportunity to do so, but it is hard. It is hard because the audience is more distracted. You know, we're talking yeah. about the Absolutely. Yeah, the pre-iPhone days when I used to teach consistently and people were like, okay, glued to you and listening to you. And now it's just like, I don't know, I'm just going through my feed. And <laughs> so it's, mm -hmm. it's much tougher now. It is much tougher. So let's, I have a question around training. Yeah. So end user training is obviously extremely essential for a successful Dynamics 365 project, either an implementation or enhancement or whatever it is. So how can a company help ensure a successful <laughs> training experience? I have an analogy that I talk about when I hear the whole word training, especially end-user training. And I came up with that analogy after I wrote an article, get this, an article a long, long time ago saying training end-users is a waste of time. Uh, a lot right. of it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Clickbait. So it, not really. I actually meant it. And what I meant by that is that when you're training a developer, an administrator, uh, or another person who is there because it's their job to do what they do. For example, a Dynamics developer, a SharePoint developer. There is no such thing as a Dynamics end user. They're actually salespeople, marketing people, finance people, operations, supply chain. There's all different types, but they're there to get their job done. So we can't treat them like a person who's there to understand and get in love with the technology is the is the thing that I was trying to uh, mention with that article, which I wrote, I think, a decade ago now. Yeah. And a lot of conversation came out of it. Once I wrote that article and then I got deeper and deeper into it, uh, the analogy that I started using was, listen, if you're going to try to open up the these people's skulls and say, okay, we're going to pour all this knowledge in and we're going to assume that it, this information is going to be available when they actually need to click and find something, you're going to fail. And I failed many, many times trying to do that until I realized that these people just want to get their job done. Dynamics or SharePoint or Teams or even outside of our space, we're talking about Salesforce or SAP, Workday. These are all technologies that they use to get their job. So let's not treat them like a SAP end user or SharePoint end user or Dynamics end user. Treat them like a person who want to do their job using these technologies and they'll be successful. So what I started doing many, many years ago is I was saying, all right, what do we need are the main ingredients for them to be motivated, be uh, you know, into it with us saying, okay, well, when I have the need, I'll, I'll, I'm ready to, to, uh, to do this. And it's more of a, let's get them to an orientation first. Let's get them understanding what do they need to know, what they need to know right now. And then when they have an issue or when they have a need, who will they talk to to find the answer or how will, uh, or where will they go to find the answer, right? As long as we can do that and help them understand in the orientation as to what's in it for you and where do you get help when you need it and why would you do it, then things are successful. That's what my experience has yep. been. It's the classic, what's in it for yeah. me? I actually <laughs> have a podcast, which I've not done much with yet, and a newsletter also called Radio WIIFM because <laughs> I, I firmly believe, what's in it for yeah, me? I firmly believe nice. that's a radio like station that. that's playing in all of our minds and we've got to tap into others as well. Yeah, and that's sure. really nice to have FM at the end as <laughs> right? well for the radio. So exactly. yeah, nice, nice exactly. one. Clever, clever. <laughs> so pivoting a little bit, not pivoting, but we're on the user adoption mm -hmm. and the training line of thinking here. So 
Let's talk a little bit about learning methodologies because those are fun to think about when you layer it on. So how can an understanding of learning methodologies here help with all of that, with your end user training? Or are you in the camp that believes that they don't influence it? No, it does, for sure, for sure. And I'll try to keep it in context of Dynamics specifically. When you have a new project, you're just coming on to Dynamics as a user, let's say. You're coming on brand new to either a new team, a new region, new department, or you are a new person coming on to a new company. Either way, you're just onboarding. And that's your starting where you're drinking from the fire hose. Uh, the learning methodology to, prov pr to provide at that time is very different when you're onboarding and orientating, if that's a word, and just learning from the fire hose, then when you're getting con uh, contextual learning, hopefully, that's where the graph, and I actually have a whole graphic on this that I posted on LinkedIn, I believe a, a while ago, that this is where they're learning from the water cooler, you know, quote unquote water cooler. They're going and they're talking to people like, hey, did you, I, I'm struggling with this thing. Can you help me with that? And, and then they're learning from the contextual stuff that's on their screen and they're looking at some tip sheets. They're getting better and better. So the learning methodology says first, there's this uh, onboarding. Then there is the deep learning that does happen slowly, slowly like, like that uh, contextually. Then there comes a period where the trough, if you can see my hand going down, where I become a quote-unquote expert, and then I start getting more complacent. Okay, well, I already know things, you know? And that's where the learning starts going down. Your experience is there with the company and all, but you're not really uh, as open to learning a lot more because you already considered yourself as expert. That moment, and this moment always happens where a change happens, a change, a transformation, either a digital transformation or some kind of transformation that happens within a company. And how do you respond to that at that, at that point in time? At that point in time, some trainers, uh, respectfully, I, I, I disagree with who say that you need to provide additional training at that time. Put them in a classroom and do more deep learning at, at that time. And that doesn't work. When the change happens, these people already have an anchor of understanding the cult culture of the company or, or their department or other things. And all they need is the change, the information about what's changing, not everything. So instead of putting them, throwing them into a training, you want to start providing them those nuggets of information uh, of how to problem solve, how to think about change, what's in it for you. And that happens a lot more contextually in nature. So is that one application that's different? The dynamics, see, now you're using that instead of before you were using HubSpot or before you're using Salesforce. So let's go ahead and give you the information contextually directly on the screen. Now, don't get me wrong, definitely do orientation and help them understand that. But then after that, help them discover things instead of trying to force information in their brain. Mm. I like that. And that helps them be the evangelists of your system yes. and help others along the way too. And that's also for me, the best time to get the best kind of feedback. Okay. Now they're thinking like the system that you put in place. Now they can actually improve it and think outside of the things that we as the implementer or the one that came up with the requirements actually thought of in the first place. Yeah now they can make real improvements to the systems. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give you a fun question. Okay. Why do you think user adoption is important? <laughs> it was always... I mean, you kind of answered yeah, it in your yeah. intro, but it, I'm going to ask it anyway. It was always important. <laughs> it's just that um, I think it became more important within the Microsoft space within the last, I would say, decade is starting getting more and more important. Obviously, we know the obvious answer to this, that it's one of those things where if you build something and no one is using it, <clears throat> there was no reason for it. 
the example that I give in, in my uh, US-based sessions when I go to conferences is that, you know, there's a site called Craigslist that we're all aware of. When Craigslist first came up, everybody had the same exact you know, thought. Like, okay, Craigslist, it's like a, it's just a bunch of links. It's just, it's nothing. It's like, what's going on? But the usage and adoption of Craigslist went through the roof since the beginning. Since then, there have been some amazing, beautiful looking sites that have not had the adoption that Craigslist has. And the idea behind Craigslist was that we're going to just focus on this one scenario and we're going to do it. And this was the early internet era where the bandwidth was not that much, you know, just, just we're gonna do it with links and text and get the information to the user who needs it the most as quickly as we can, and that's it. <laughs> so uh, the, the thought behind this is that, who is your audience? What do they want? What do they need? Give them that. Don't think about what you want as a company or as a developer or as a creator of think what does your audience want? Because if you don't think about that, you will not get to you know success. Uh, Salesforce has been doing this since a long, long time because they started with a SaaS model for, since the beginning. It's in 2000, 2001, right? Microsoft got on the bandwagon when BPOS was released and the Microsoft 365 was released, Dynamics 365 was released, and then they became the tenant saying, oh, wow, now we know what's being used and what workloads are not being used, and we need to get the usage up. That's when it started talking to the customers and partners saying, listen, we know what's going on and we want you to be successful with all of our Microsoft products. And that's when that started happening, uh, I saw this as an MVP and I saw as, as a partner as well of Microsoft that in, from both channels, Microsoft was telling us that, hey guys, we need you to talk to your customers about user adoption. User adoption is important because user adoption gets usage and we want, of course, customers to, to use what they're paying for. So that, that's how the story went. And now we're looking at this uh, a decade afterward, or everybody is talking about it, but about a decade or so ago, it's only a few people that were talking. Yeah, I like talking about user adoption. I'm thinking about it. Uh, yeah. What is your... Oh, did you have a question? Sorry. No, no, not really. Just chime in that I always compare it to like, what if the users did this in Excel only? Can we still beat Excel? <laughs> So that's like kind it. of the scenario. So they don't go back to whatever they had before. Could be Excel, could be something else, right? So we have to beat that in quotes. I like it. Yeah. That's funny. That's one of the things, when I'm talking about user adoption, that's one of the things I tell system administrators to look for. What are your users doing in Excel today? Mm -hmm. And how can you leverage the Power Platform and Dynamics 365 to automate that and make it better? I love it. I love it. Anyway, what is your quick tip, other than you find what they're doing in Excel, to anyone who's listening who might want to increase user adoption in their organization, in their Dynamics 365? Yeah. The hardest thing that I had to do was to come up with some formulas of what can you actually do to determine, you know, uh, to determine the exact actions you should take to make sure that the adoption goes up. <clears throat> and I think I got some of it. I want to tell you. <laughs> uh, Number one, when you're in a system as a user, you want to get to your answer quickly. And that quickly, the answer to that is within two clicks and within 10 seconds. So when you're designing an interface, when you're designing a solution of any kind, especially within Dynamics also, how do you get people to an answer so they actually have an immediate amygdala hit right there in their brain in the front saying, you know what, this was not that hard. I can do this by myself before calling uh, Marcus or before calling Heidi, you know, I, I can do this. And you want that to be there. That's number one. And second, you want to measure all the things that are that you're giving them also. So then you know what they're using, what they're not using, right? Measurement will give you the result, uh, the analytics 
the behavior. Uh, and the measurement is how many times they're clicking on the micro learning that you've provided them, let's say. Where were they when they clicked on it? What are they searching for? Many times when you do surveys, you find, at least I found this to be a fact all the time, that the users don't always tell you what's on their mind, but their behavior, but their behavior will tell you. So when they're doing a search, when no one's looking, what are they looking for? Where were they when they looked for it? Were they in Dynamics? Were they in SharePoint? Were they in Teams? Were they in a payroll application? You're giving them a unified system, which is exactly what we do with Visual SP, is you give them a unified support system that wherever they are, they can search for their answer. So then, then you know exactly where they were when they searched for it and so forth. And then you analyze all that stuff and figure out how much time you have saved and savings in productivity in terms of time, in terms of money and so forth. And I kid you not that what we have seen has been dramatically huge improvement as to 50% reduction in support tickets, three times better user adoption and, and more usage of the products when you're looking at Power BI, looking at dashboards as to exactly what was being used. So when you're really thinking about the user, what's in it for them, the WIFM that we were just talking about, right? That radio station, you tune into that, you get your answers. You get the impact that you're looking for. Don't make it look amazing and beautiful. Make it look useful of what people really need. And you'll be successful and users will be successful and they'll thank you. For it. Yeah, and I think maybe the, the tracking of how successful your user adoption is is something a lot of people are missing. That's a great tip, I love that. And I have a thought too. I kind of yeah. want to get your thoughts on this. So we're recording this show in March. And in March, we got some massive news from Microsoft, which is around co-pilots and leveraging OpenAI and ChatGPT is popping up everywhere. Yeah. And I've been starting to try to think a lot about how is this going to impact end user training? Am I going to be able to create a Canvas app that's riding all on this co-pilot, on this OpenAI and embed that on a model-driven app maybe? Like if I'm doing dynamics for sales, can my opportunities view now have ChatGPT right next to it? And can I point ChatGPT to like use my intranet as its resource? So I don't know if you've done any thinking on this and sorry to put you on the spot, but how do you think these open AI advancements that are rolling out as we speak going to impact user adoption and training? Yeah. Well, some of the stuff Microsoft has already been talking about publicly, right? Of how Copilot is going to be within all of their Microsoft Enterprise products, like Dynamics, like SharePoint, and so forth. And they've shown some of the demos as well. None of them are public yet. As you're saying, it's March 2023 that we're talking about this. Maybe six months from now, there'll be a different conversation. As of right now, though, it's more of a assistant, right? So it's it's uh, if I were to hire a person, an outsourced person to do some of these things for me because I don't want to do it myself as a salesperson, marketing person, customer service, or whatever the role that I'm playing, what would I have that person do? Well, now you can have your assistant, which is an AI, do that. This is how I look at it simply. And this is for any kind of automatic writing of content, emails, for example, right? Or automatically filling of data. There was one great example where, let's say a, a salesperson within Dynamics, they always need to understand the BANT. You are familiar with that, the budget, authority, need, and timeline for an opportunity. Very, very important you know, credence that they have to go with. Now, usually they're asking the customer, hey, do you have the budget? Do you have the authority? And those are uncomfortable questions many times, but 
<laughs> but sometimes you're asking other questions which can determine if they have the authority, which can determine if the timeline is right or not so far. What AI is going to be able to do, the co-pilot, is it's going to take conversations from your phone calls, from your emails, from your chats with the customer and other signals that they're sending you, either intentionally or unintentionally. Even their, uh, this, this is a little bit theoretical because I'm not sure if this is really going to happen, but I think it will get there where even your facial recognition do you know what is the customer really saying if you have them on video hmm. and then determining in the back end that you know is the bant checked off or not and that's exactly what these sales managers need so now it's doing a lot of your job for you but still as an assistant it's not replacing your job i think that's very important to know it's one of those things where uh, the schooling did not end when a calculator came out back in the day right it was not a slide rule anymore it was a calculator but same thing here we still need humans, we still need us, but we're just gonna have a lot more better assistance doing a lot of things that we were doing manually. So I'm pretty excited about what's coming for sure. I'm so excited about yeah. it. It's super cool. <laughs> so I'll move it back to user adoption and training. Uh, <laughs> do you see any common mistakes that organizations make around user adoption and training? <sighs> yes, unfortunately. <laughs> the common mistake is not thinking about it initially thinking about this as you know we will think about user adoption user training support and governance after we finish this implementation project of going from salesforce to dynamics or wherever you're going from. and i think it's an unfortunate mistake that i hate to say it but many many organizations still are making because they're under the gun of moving like you know we have this budget and we need to move. We need to make that migration happen. We need to make sure that it's a successful migration. But my question always to them is that, what are you migrating? Are you migrating your systems? Would you like to migrate your users as well? <laughs> or do you, just want, do you just want a new shiny system that people will you know, not use? So what's the point? So I think of user adoption and training and other things as services that you need to offer. Just like we think about software as a service, SAAS, there's also the acronym that I use, UAAAS. I don't know if how many A's I counted here, but <laughs> user adoption as a service. Right? You, you do that on a regular basis. Make sure people know what's coming. Make sure they know why it's coming, what's going to happen, how they're going to change. And then support them all throughout the journey, way before you actually committed to the actual migration to way after. That's when you're going to have an actual success. If you don't do that, then guess what? You'll be switching to a different system a few years later because people will not be using it. And you'll think that it's a systems issue when it's usually a people issue. Mm -hmm. I can go on and on about this thing, but uh, there's so much. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People Those first, are good processes second, and then product, right? Yeah. yeah. In an ideal world, yes. Yeah. But how often does the budget dry up and now you have to cut your training because the build went longer and we forgot about all these things and we got scope creep and new requirements and yeah. so on and so forth. Um, yeah, guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> oh Everybody's guilty, I know. Yeah. So how about in the latest release wave for Dynamics 365? Have you seen anything in there that you think might help increase user adoption? Well... <clears throat> I think with every role, uh, and speaking specifically of Dynamics CE, with marketing and sales, customer service, project, field service, with all these roles, uh, these people are trying to get their job done faster, and they're trying to get it to be more efficient. They're trying to be still as being as comprehensive as possible with what they need to get done. And with what the things that have been that are announcing right now, which is the co-pilot uh, and AI things that are that are coming, it's going to be to a point where 
a lot of my work that I used to just uh, not feel good about doing myself, even though I knew it was important, for example, creating a new task after a meeting has already taken place. Well, yeah, I was going to make a new task for you automatically, right? Or like I was talking about with this BNT, the BANT over here, you know, doing all these checkboxes automatically, uh, helping me with suggestions of what should the next step be if I'm a salesperson selling, you know, with cross-selling and upselling and suggestions about uh, what I should be saying, Conversa conversational intelligence. Uh, there's uh, one thing that I saw, which is going to be regarding if I'm talking to an account, I would know about what the stories and what the news is about that account in the media. So when I'm talking to them, I can say, hey, I know I, I saw that you guys are doing X, Y, Z and things like that. So it feels like you're connecting better with the client instead of mm -hmm. just trying to sell yeah. something, right? And then there's these templates that uh, um, I believe there have already been templates in marketing for a long time where you could create, you know, beautiful template, but you can do that now in sales and customer service as well. I believe that's going to be coming. There's a lot of, a lot of awesome stuff that I saw in terms of better functioning and much more efficient ways of doing things using AI that's coming and uh, pretty excited about all these things. Hey, Marcus, did you have other questions for Austin? I do, because I want to be a bit more practical here now then and say, <laughs> how do you measure user adoption in dynamics then? Do you go to like environments and check have people logged in? There was a example that someone gave a long time ago of what some companies have done to kind of fool the system and fool the upper management about uh, user adoption. And what they did was they took, this was Internet Explorer, by the way. So they took the Internet Explorer homepage, they threw a group policy in there to say, hey, you're going to go to this particular page whenever your Internet Explorer opens up every single day. <coughs> so you know what happened? They had 100% yeah. adoption, <laughs> which, yeah. which obviously is not adoption, right? That's more you're, you're fooling the management thinking, oh, yeah, everything is going great. It's uh, there are certain metrics that you have to set up for yourself, and that's uh, metrics that matter. MTM, right? What do you want people to do in this particular case? Are they actually engaging? Are they being active or passive about things? So if they're just browsing and clicking around, that's not really active engagement. But if they're creating objects, if they're engaging with other people, if they're collaborating and they're sharing, those are the activities you want to make sure that you quantify. And if you can quantify those things, that's your adoption. It's harder than just putting your homepage to a page that you want people to go to, but that's where it yeah. really... Well, can you give one KPI that's more, most common about your customers then? Yeah. So as I was saying before that we had been in the SharePoint industry for a long time yeah. and, and dynamics. And in every single place, we found the exact same thing, that there were always places where people could share information. And if they felt that uh, they were willing to share, that means they were super, super engaged, okay? Because now they're not just learning and understanding and collaborating, but you're actually sharing with other people. So we look at those specific, so documents share, or a, a, in this case, a record share within Dynamics and so forth. If you're able to look at that one metric, then you know that people are going a step beyond what is required of them, and they're helping others as well. So that's that was one thing that we have done many before that we were looking at the other collaboration metrics too, but share is, has been the best one. Well, I, I usually forbid them from sharing because, <laughs> well, <laughs> I never allow that. Unless it's not open, yeah, that's a different thing. Then you go with the other collaboration. Okay, how many times a certain uploading file or so yeah. forth? Because Marcus, that's funny. Kylie Kaiser, who we've interviewed yeah. and who talked yeah. about security, always says sharing is not caring. She hates <laughs> sharing on. in Dynamics and Dataverse. <laughs> well, well yeah. we talked about sharing here, and now we have this um, contextual, well, the new good global search 
So, so I was thinking, can we get information from that? Like, are people searching for things that they can actually find? Or can we get get info from that? Because, as you said, searching is very active and you're searching for something and you don't get the response. That's very good information to know. We have that built in to Visual SP and for that purpose, because we want to encourage people search for things. Uh, We're talking about ChatGPT. And if you think about it, ChatGPT and OpenAI that produced it and their whole model has been, and now Copilot is going to be where you actually be actively putting information in that input is necessary right because that's when you're thinking about something instead of just clicking very different so when you're doing that you are actively engaging and motivated enough to think of any subject area to put that in and if you're not able to find the answer for that or hopefully you can find the answer uh, that is the information that all of us should be looking into seeing what are people really interested in you know what is that phrase that word that intention that they had coming to it. And then you start to supply more and more information around that because that's what will keep them coming. Nice. So where do I go if I want to know more about (laughs) contextual learning? Well, uh, we talk about this on our website all the time, visualsp.com, V-I-S-U-A-L-S-P as in parrot, visualsp.com. SP stands for support products, by the way, people are wondering. Aside from the site, we have our blog on the site. I personally am pretty active on LinkedIn, talking about contextual microlearning all the time. Asif Ramani, once again. Uh, I know it's going to be harder to spell for people just listening, like, well, how do you spell that? But uh, And there's actually a bunch of Asif Ramanis in the world, I found out after Googling myself <laughs> a few years back. <laughs> but if you look for Asif Ramani, R-E-H-M-A-N-I, look for Dynamics or look for SharePoint or whatever, you'll connect with me on LinkedIn. And... Or feel free to reach out to Marcus or I. We can get you con- connected. And we will be sure to have your links in the bio and the in the show notes. So yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have any public speaking scheduled? If we want to know more about you, yeah. <clears throat> there's there's actually a. <laughs> I was surprised thinking about this earlier. I was thinking about this before as to which conferences I have. So here we go. Ready? <laughs> Learning Solutions Conference. It's a learning specific conference that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Then right after that, Directions North America, partner specific for Dynamics. I'll be there and be able to user adoption panel. Most probably a session as well over there. Uh, then there's 365 EduCon. Not sure how many people have heard of that, but it's a uh, mostly Microsoft 365, but also Power Platform, other things as well. It's going to be happening in Seattle, 365 EduCon. There's a Microsoft 365 conference, M365Conf, that's happening. That's uh, mostly sponsored by Microsoft. Then there's the Power Platforms that's happening in October. I'll be there as well. So there's a bunch that's actually happening this year. Quite a lot more. Just a few. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's odd how we got used to this whole staying home in our pajamas over the pandemic and now things have opened up and now it's opened up so much so that everybody's doing it. Uh, personally, I, I get a lot out of being at those conferences, talking to customers and partners. So it's, um, it's a pleasure. And uh, wherever I can, I, I try to submit speaking engagements as well. So I'll be speaking at all these ones that I mentioned. But even if I was not, I would love, still love to go there and engage with people. Asif yeah. will also be speaking at the Philadelphia User Group oh, in June. Right. I'm so sorry I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Philadelphia User Group. On a sure. more micro learning. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Looking forward to that one. Absolutely. <laughs> Who would you recommend as a future guest on this podcast? <laughs> I would recommend Heidi. No. Uh, <laughs> so there are so many 
names that come to mind, but many of them are not. And one of the guys that actually comes to mind, which goes much, much deeper than I go into within the whole uh, context-sensitive learning space is this guy's name is Bob Mosher, M-O-S-H-E-R. And then another one of his partners is Conrad Gottfriedson. He's written a book actually specifically on a topic of performance support. And when I go to mm. learning conferences, these guys are well-known uh, folks at those conferences that I speak at. Uh, they have this methodology of, you know, what performance support is, is exactly what we've been talking about, but in different words, where how do you give information and support to the person to help them perform their job? <laughs> That's it, basically, performance support. You know, and that, that concept has been around for ages, which I had no idea until a few years ago, uh, because it's slowly, slowly coming into the Microsoft world. But these guys could go even deeper in context-sensitive learning space, and I definitely respect them for that. Yeah. Thank you, Asif, for money for our participation in CM Work. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Marcus and Heidi, for having me. Yeah. And uh, Heidi, if uh, our listeners now can find Asif, where can they find us? You can find us on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and you can check the hashtag CRM Rocks on Twitter. Yeah. So uh, thanks to your listening. And don't forget, you can always subscribe. So we'll see you next time. On CM Rocks.